if the, if the truth be known, it took us, I think, a whole year just to close a deal with Regina to get her to go back at all. So she's, she has signed on the dotted line. She will be showing up for Okotoma 3, and we're just thrilled about that. A uh, couple of announcements for us this morning that weren't up on the overhead. Uh, members meeting is next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll be addressing some amendments to the Articles of Incorporation for the Church. I said that right, didn't I, Bill? Thank you very much. Um, if you would like to have a look at those, we're going to post those on the website. So maybe by Tuesday or Wednesday, if you want to go to the website and look at those, you can get a copy and look at them online. Uh, but that's 6 o'clock next Sunday. And, and that is a members meeting, but any are welcome to be a part of that meeting if you'd like to come. Obviously, the member voting. Thank you so much. I had forgotten that conversation, but I remember it now. <laughs> oh, my. Um, I've had the privilege of telling everyone I've met so far with, and I'm not sure they all understand, but I'm so excited to be here. Um, and to try to explain to you what that means, uh, we have over the years developed quite a friendship. Those of you that have been a part of our celebration conferences in Florida, uh, we have enjoyed that time together. It's always a highlight to have a couple of hundred of you come in from uh, New Orleans and uh, take over our campground. And um, sadly, we're not doing that anymore. We're looking for the next thing the Lord has for us. But um, the conferences that we've been to with your leaders, with different members of your church for different events that we've been a part of over the years, it's just been a joy. And I guess the best way to say it is we've just loved you from afar. For a long time. And to be here. Not just as a guest. But as a friend. Is. The reality of what the kingdom of God is all about. Um, it may take you a while to understand what's behind all of this emotion. And excitement. But I trust we'll have time to do that. Just if you're new to the church, um, just please understand that Sovereign Grace Ministries is not interested in signing up churches. We are not trying to franchise and start a new denomination. We, we don't get excited about how many churches we have and how large the churches are. Uh, we just want reality. We want genuine relationship. We want to live out the, the kingdom of God, the, the scriptures. We want to live them, not just learn about them. We don't want to read the book of Acts and drool over how it used to be. We want to live that way. And what a joy it is for us to have men and women, boys and girls, that have that same kind of vision and desire that we can share this abundant life in Christ with. And I guess a, a huge part of the excitement is knowing that as God unites churches, the, the future of what that can mean is way beyond our wildest dreams. We, we are just celebrating our 20th anniversary in Orlando. Uh, we started the church in our family room, and we started off just asking God for reality. And what the Lord has given us is so much greater than what we thought we were looking for. But we're finally old enough to start seeing our children grow up. Uh, they're marrying. They're having their own children. 
And we're seeing them now live their lives in a way that we didn't at their age. And in fact, in some ways, uh, better than we even are now. Uh, And when I say better, I mean more closely aligned with the truths of Scripture. And as we're seeing even uh, our young men and young women find each other in different churches and begin to marry and come together and to, to see the product of parents who have invested their lives into teaching their children the principles of the kingdom of God, to see the blessing of God in their life, to see the prosperity of God in their life, to see the fruit that's coming from their lives is just overwhelming. And so to think that this relationship now could produce those kinds of, that kind of fruit for decades and decades to come until the Lord returns. To, 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 to even imagine what could come from this relationship in the years to come, it's just overwhelming. And the, over, the sense of being overwhelmed is that of joy and of pleasure to just imagine what God's going to do. Um, so I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Melody, who will be joining us in a few minutes, um, she's going to be here for the rest of the, the morning. Um, we are so glad to be here. We've been married for 31 years. We have four children. We have three grandchildren. And um, <laughs> this, uh, this grandparenting thing is much better than advertised. Much better than advertised. Um, you know, when, when we had our children, I don't know, somehow we never made the connection. We had our children. We had no idea the gift we were giving to our parents. And now that we're on this side of it, you know, we've heard all the stories about, you know, how grandparents, they just want to spoil their grandkids. They, they, uh, they, they love it because they can have them for a while, enjoy them, and then send them back. And we don't feel that way at all. We, we call my son or my daughter and say, don't you guys need a date night? Don't you need some time alone? Bring the kids over. And you guys just go away for a while, you know. It, it is... And we don't want to undermine what they're trying to do in training their children. We don't, we don't want to spoil them and try to ruin uh, the, the discipline, the consistency. We, we can now do with our grandchildren what we did with our children and, and really stand beside them and support them and, and, and give them that encouragement that they need when it is really difficult. Uh, our, our grandchildren are precious, but they are sinners. And... Uh, they, they are challenging to our children. And, you know, there certainly is a little bit of joy as we watch them uh, go through uh, the, the dealing with the will and, and those kind of things. But instead of sitting back gloating, we stand outside the door while they're disciplining them and pray for them and just ask God to help that little one respond. You know, it'll be so much easier if you'll just give in, you know. Um, but then also praying for our son or daughter or, or their mates and just, oh, God, give them wisdom how to, to reach their heart and not just deal with externals and behaviors and those kind of things. Um, I tell you all that just so that you'll know that um, God has been very, very faithful to us. Uh, uh, we, we do not take credit at all for the fact that our children, all four of them, love God and, and love the local church. That is a miracle of God. It's an evidence of grace. We do not take any credit for it. But the reason I say those kinds of things is to encourage you that may be struggling. 
Because when we were raising our children, we had no examples. We didn't have anyone telling us what God could do. We, we hadn't gotten far enough along to see the fruit. And so now that we're seeing that, we just want to commend uh, those young families that have little children or those uh, families who have teenagers. And you just wonder, are, are we going to make it? Are they going to live through it? Um, am I going to go, pr- go to prison for their death? Um, you know, the, the, we understand the difficulties. And that's why it's such a joy to be a part of a local church where you have folks that can pray for you and stand with you. And, and that's, that's really uh, what we would look at as the, the means of grace for our children would, would be the local church. We were teaching them, but the, the men and women in the church were modeling what we were teaching. And so the, the church validated the things they were hearing at home. And so I, I just, these things are so precious to us. This is why we're excited about giving away what God's given to us, because it, it is just so precious. Uh, we have really enjoyed our time with the elders and their wives, the staff and their wives, uh, the, hospitali- the hospitality of Bill and Nancy, Peter and Jean, Keith and Gina. Uh, we have been busy since we've been here, but we just, we've run out of time. I can't believe we're going home tomorrow. Um, and we still have a lot to do before we go home. But we just enjoyed so much being here. Um, I want you to know I'm very impressed in, in a godly way with what God has done among your leaders. Um, what, what Keith shared with you this morning uh, is not an exaggeration. And what has happened, not that I take any credit for this at all, but what has happened since that time among these men is certainly an evidence of grace. In other words, this is something God has done. But the only way it could have happened is by these men, all of them involved, humbling themselves before God and each other and taking seriously the, the claims of Christ. And so we have really enjoyed spending this time with them, drawing them out, trying to figure out what's been happening here over the last several years and how you've come to the place that you have. Because their love for each other is evident and their responsiveness to the gospel Again, this isn't a sovereign grace ministries thing. This is all about the kingdom of God and the gospel. The response of the leadership of this church to the gospel has made our relationship now possible. So it is my great joy to bring you greetings from C.J. Mahaney, from Brent Detweiler, from Dave Harvey and Steve Shank. These four men would be our leadership team in sovereign grace ministries. Uh, It is my joy to convey to you Uh, that they consider it quite an honor to be invited to walk by your side in this glorious life that we have in Christ Jesus. And I I just, again, if if you haven't heard all that's been shared, if you're newer to the church, or if you've been here forever and you feel like you know every detail, I want to make sure that you know from the very start that I am not coming with an agenda of my own. I... I'm not coming here to change things, to try to make something happen, to uh, conform you to some other image. Uh, We simply want to join hands together to live the scriptures, to live according to the scriptures, to experience all that God has for us as his people. And so I I hope that it's become clear to you thus far, and I, I trust that you'll hear me on this, but... I'm here to serve you, not to be served. 
I'm not here to see things happen in a way that I think they should. I'm here to serve in any way that I can, even if it's a small way, in order for this church to just continue to experience all that God has. What's wonderful about this stage of of relationship that we're experiencing now is that the church, from what I can tell, from what I've heard, the church is healthy. God's at work in this church. There are good things happening here. I've heard from many of you testimonies about what God is doing. Now, the church isn't perfect, but none of the churches are. Because we live in a fallen world. We're not talking about perfect churches. We're not talking about having it all together. And please hear this. I may not need to say this, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, There is just no such thing as a sovereign grace way of doing things or a sovereign grace mold. You've got to do it this way to be a sovereign grace church. No, you've got to do it this way (laughs) to be in a family of churches that want to live this way. And so if if you can adjust your thinking, uh, whatever your experience has been in the past, where, where men perhaps have been involved in church leadership, that were not servants, that had their own agendas, men that were, were looking for you to serve them and for you to do what they wanted you to do. If you can totally reverse that and discipline yourself to think opposite of that, then we want to align ourselves as leaders. And I know I speak for the leaders of this church. We want to align ourselves with Christ. We want to be like him. And he said he did not come. To be served, but to serve. And that's our model. That's our example. That's the one that we're looking to, to find out how best to serve you. So, uh, one of my primary goals in being here, one of my, uh, the, the primary focus, I want to glorify God. I want to be a blessing to this church. And I want to see why God would give us the privilege of walking together in this holy calling of representing him to a lost and a dying world. As I've driven around a little bit through New Orleans, I just see over and over, as you do as well, this city needs Jesus Christ. They, they don't need a caricature. They don't need some denominational view. They don't need a list of, of rules and regulations. They need to see the greatness of God. His, his name, our desire is that his name be great in this city. And that's not going to happen by us building buildings and having more programs and, 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 and doing all the kinds of things that we typically think about Christianity being and church life being. The way that's going to happen is for you and I to be genuine believers. For us to be authentic New Testament Christians. For us to live our lives for the glory of God. Again, that doesn't mean perfect. But for us to simply love one another. That is so contagious to be men of integrity in business. Men that genuinely love their wives and lead in their home. Children that honor and respect mom and dad. Those simple things will be revolutionary in this city. They will turn heads. They will make people come to you and ask questions. They will draw all men to the Savior. My entrance into Sovereign Grace Ministries, one of the the first things that impressed me was not the preaching and not the music. What I saw when I went to my first conference, which was a celebration conference in Pennsylvania, I saw men with their wives and small children, I saw those men open the door for their wife before they went in the building. 
I was shocked. You know what really blew my mind? Is I saw some of those guys changing diapers. I mean, now you think, what does a movement stand for? Well, the men change diapers, you know. <laughs> that just doesn't sound very impressive. But see, what it spoke to me is that these guys are serving their wives. I didn't know what that meant. I knew it. I could jump around and worship. I could preach and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't serving my wife. She was there for me. She was there for my needs. She was supposed to do what I wanted her to do. And when she didn't, we had a problem. My children were there to meet my needs and do what I wanted them to do. I didn't understand serving. I wasn't genuinely loving. One of the, one of the key turning points in our marriage is when I admitted to Melody that I didn't love her. Now, unwisely, I paused after I said that. <laughs> and she's waiting for the next, I want to divorce you, you know. But I said, I want to learn how to love you. We, we studied 1 Corinthians 13, and I realized that my love for her was not on the page. Whatever we had been doing all those years, and children and everything, was not genuine love. And God revolutionized my marriage, revolutionized my family. And I am eternally grateful. And so it's, it just couldn't be more simple. That the way the name of the Lord will be made great in this city is the way you live your life day in and day out. Not the way you look in a meeting like this, but what you look like and what you're doing and what you're thinking when nobody's watching. So with that in mind, let's pray and just ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so dependent on you today. I do not have the words of life. I have nothing to offer in and of myself. My only hope is that you will speak through me, that you will let me be your representative, that you will do the work that only you can do, and that somehow through the what seems like foolishness of preaching and what seems like uh, an archaic way uh, of studying just an old way of living through the scriptures, that you will transform our lives today, conform us more closely to the image of the Son, Christ Jesus, so that we can shine like stars in a very dark and sinful world and that we can represent you well, that you will receive all the glory. This won't be about the name Sovereign Grace Ministries. It will not be about the name Lakeview Christian Church or a Christian Center. It, it will not be about our organization or who we are or what we're doing. It'll be about you. And Father, with that... We study scripture today and ask you to please open our hearts afresh to the gospel. We ask you for that in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I've chosen a couple of unusual passages of scripture today. Not necessarily to do a very good job of exegeting them and, and doing a, a, a great a sermon that will give you uh, more sound doctrine and continue to equip you in your understanding of the greatness of our God. But since this is such a unique um, visit this weekend, to just give you a little idea of how we operate and how we think and how what we see in Scripture does become the model for how we uh, do things. And I know a lot of you probably have questions about how does it work, and I hope that this will help you today. A little background. I was raised in the church all my life. My dad was in the Navy, and so we moved every couple of years, sometimes every six months. 
And to my parents' credit, the first thing they did whenever they went to a new city where they were stationed, the first thing they did was find a local church. And they went to the local church, and, and the church in those days was such, it was uh, pretty informal, and there weren't a lot of men that were really uh, leading, and uh, a lot of women in the church that were just desperately trying to hang on to their families and, and crying out to God for help. And, and so for my dad to come in and be willing to serve in any way, the pastors would very quickly just get him on the deacon board, you know, and get him serving. And, and many, many of the churches didn't have much of a music program, and my mom loves music, and she, she has a lot of experience in directing choirs and stuff. So very quickly, if there wasn't already something in place, mom would be the choir director. And, and we would, I mean, from day one, we were involved. And, and it really helped me as I, I look back, because we didn't have time to, to just... Uh, earn trust from people or build friendships or wait around to, to let people become friends. We, we knew as kids, I only have one sister, but we knew as kids that if you didn't make friends fast, you weren't going to be long, around long enough to have, you know, enjoy the friendship. So uh, we just made friends quickly. We just jumped in. But I remember as a young boy hearing testimony. We call them popcorn testimony services. Anybody ever heard of that? Nope. Another generation. Some of you. But... Uh, what that meant was we just have a time to, to ask the church to just glorify God for things that he'd done. And, and they called it popcorn because people would just pop up and say something quick and sit down another person. And you could just get a, a little feel for all that God was doing. It was really glorious. But inevitably, in those testimony times, someone would stand up and say something like this. I don't know what God's will for my life is, but I really want to. And, you know, when he tells me what his will is, I, I'm, I really want to serve him. Now, as a young, arrogant, hear that, arrogant boy, I would watch some of the older people stand up and say, I don't know what God wants me to do, but when he tells me, I'll do it. And I used to think in my arrogance, lady, if you haven't learned by now, it's over. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you know. And I can remember thinking here, and I remember getting this impression, folks were wandering. They didn't have a sense of direction or purpose. They didn't have a clarity of what the Christian life was all about. It, it was really all about surviving. And as I examined the church and the way we lived, and I, I was around for the gossip and the slander. I, I, would, I would, you know, be a kid at the table, at the dinner table after the the Sunday meetings and, and hear uh, the adults just rip the pastors up and, and the, the message and complain about this and complain about that. And, and I can remember even some of my relatives who were pastors and evangelists and missionaries. They would come through town and, and we'd have guests like that in our home. And, and, and there would be times that some of those um, individuals who were in the ministry would, would tell off-color jokes, you know, for the sake of being funny. And, and you could tell there was a you could just see the selfishness and the worldliness and whatnot. And I can remember looking at all that, thinking, as I would read the book of Acts and look around on my church life and just saw this huge difference. And it bothered me as a boy. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what that meant. But it really, really bothered me. And as I got older and I got involved in church life, and that's a whole story that we could talk about it some of the time, but I just kind of got drafted in the ministry because of my bad experiences in many churches. Sadly, in almost every church that we went to, the pastor proved to either be immoral or an embezzler. Uh, and so 
I mean, we just, oh, the church split and the, the dissension. Oh, just, I just remember time after time after time. I remember, <laughs> oh, just all kinds of ugly confrontations. And a lot of this, you know, would go on in our house. And because my parents were so involved in part of the leadership. And so I, I, I never, I mean, I loved God and I loved the church and I loved serving, but I never wanted to be a pastor. Especially because, you know, pastors are always treated differently. You know, if you were in a crowd, uh, a group of friends, and you're having a great time, and the pastor walks up, everybody shuts up. <laughs> they talk differently. They act differently, you know. And I just hated that. And so I never wanted to be a pastor. So when I met my wife, Melody, she had come from a similar background in a different denomination. Again, long story, but she'd come from a similar background, and she had kind of vowed, I'll never marry a pastor. (laughs) So one of the things that attracted us to each other was, we're never going to be pastors. Well, a year and a half after we were married, the Lord called me into the ministry. Uh, She wasn't very happy about it. I wasn't very happy about it. And so we joke about the fact that we were drafted. Now, the reason we weren't happy about it is because of our bad experiences. Well, we got into the ministry, and we would have had to disobey God not to serve. Uh, again, long story, but we served in several churches. And again, in every one of those churches, the pastors would end up being caught in immorality. And I just was sick of it. I, I was dis- disillusioned. I was disappointed. I was a part of a very large church when it happened the last time. And I loved the people, but I was just ready to quit. And the youth pastor of the church, who ended up becoming the senior pastor, just appealed to me, will you please help us keep the church together? And so we stayed. Well, it was in that season of time that we met C.J. Mahaney, Brent Detwaller, some of these men. And it was during that season of time also that I was sent out from that large church to begin a new church. And so in that beginning, we were just supernaturally arranged by God, uh, encounters with these these men from Sovereign Grace Ministries, and I began to see men that loved integrity. I began to see men that dealt with sin. And when men did fail, even in ministry, the goal was to restore them, not ban them to Siberia. I saw a relationship. I saw the... The, a, a closer relationship to scripture and experience. And for the last 20 years, since 1985, I've had the exhilarating experience of living much closer to the realities of scripture than I ever had before. Now, please don't hear, I'm not there, I haven't arrived, I don't have it all together. But these last 20 years have been nothing less than one prayer one dream after another becoming reality in my life. And it has been the most wonderful experience in our church in Orlando, by the grace of God, boasting in him alone. This has nothing to do with my leadership. We don't have any divisions in the church. We don't have any factions. When, when we're preaching, just like I'm preaching today, I don't have to worry about what Sister Susie and Brother you know, Wayne is going to think about whatever. I don't know if Susie and Wayne, so... Uh, <laughs> Don't have to, you're not concerned, you're preaching the scripture because everybody there wants reality. So these, these times, uh, these years have just been wonderful for us. Now, a couple of examples here in scripture that will kind of demonstrate for you what, you, what I mean here. 
that, that our actual experience is just very similar to Scripture. Here in Acts 16, look at verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And don't, it's easy to kind of blow past this quickly, but just notice the integrity here. Uh, Timothy is considered a disciple. He's well spoken of. And so now we see in, in verse 3, he's someone that the church leaders can work with. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And this would be our method. We, we look for faithful men, as it says in 2 Timothy, that we can entrust to so that they can entrust to others also. That's, that's really the way leadership works in the Christian church. And so uh, faithful men uh, that can be trusted with the gospel message are nurtured and, and trained and released uh, and sent out into ministry. It says he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, again, it's easy to read through this and go, OK, and just move on. Now, just think about it. One of the pastors wants to take you on a missionary trip. And he says, I want you to go. And you're like, oh, I'm excited. Wow, I get to go. Just one requirement. I need to circumcise you first. Excuse me? It just takes a little bit of trust, I would think. Now, this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal. You know why? Because Acts 15, they've had this major council, this major controversy about circumcision. In fact, what Paul and, and Silas and now Timothy were going to be doing in going to these other churches is taking to them the decision of the elders about circumcision. And here was the decision. You do not have to be circumcised to be saved. They settled. I mean, they wrangled with this. They argued with it. They, they, they studied the scriptures and they finally came to a, a conclusion. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. This is not a requirement for the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is asking Timothy to be circumcised so he can go with him on a trip because his dad is a Greek. And the, the guys that they're getting ready to go to would know that it would be a stumbling block. And so would you be circumcised? It just seems silly. Totally contradictory, doesn't it? Well, if you've been in the church very long, I think you can identify with how contradictory church leadership can seem sometimes. These guys do things that just don't make any sense sometimes, don't they? <laughs> don't you find yourself at times going, what, what are they thinking? Maybe that's not your experience. It certainly is at Metro <laughs> in Orlando. Um, there are times that, that we just wonder, what's really going on here? Well, what's going on here is Paul knows that where they're getting ready to go, for Timothy not to be circumcised would be an unnecessary stumbling block, a hindrance. It would get in the way of them preaching the gospel. And so it wasn't a matter of salvation for him to be sent circumcised, it was a matter of care for others, concern for them. Now, again, put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Are you willing to be circumcised just so that others out there, a bunch of legalists, don't stumble? 
what, what is that? What possible motive could there be for Timothy to be willing to go through that as an adult man just so he, he wouldn't be a stumbling block? Well, the only explanation for that is love, isn't it? He had to love them more than he hated the experience of circumcision. Now, that's love for people he didn't even know, people he hadn't even met. It demonstrates for you the kind of integrity, the kind of leaders that we're talking about here. It goes on to say, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered uh, to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That's what I referred to. It's called in history the Jerusalem Council. Now, what you see here again is just a, another good illustration of church government or church polity, where you have a plurality of leadership. You have apostles and elders who are working together through these issues, making decisions, but these decisions are not being made to serve themselves or their own interests. These decisions are being made to serve the body of Christ. They're not lording over them. They're not trying to manipulate them. They're serving them. And we see this in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Here they're being served through the gift of leadership. Decisions are being made for them. Answers are coming down. Doctrinal answers are coming. And the churches flourish as a result. Could it be that the growth that you've seen in recent years is directly proportional to what God's been doing in the leadership of this church? You see, when there's unity amongst leaders, when there's love amongst leaders, the blessing is amazing to everyone in the church. So we see effective, grace-oriented, gospel-centered leadership here that's producing great fruit. Now look at verse 6. This is fascinating. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now again, you can read that and go, I can hardly pronounce the words. Never mind, understand what's going on here. But take your time. Go back to verse 6 and look what's happening. These brothers are wanting to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit forbids them to. Now, does that fit in to your concept of who God is? What's wrong with the disciples going to Asia to preach the gospel? Didn't the folks in Asia need the gospel? Of course they did. Was there anything wrong with their desire to go and preach the gospel? No, not at all. But the Holy Spirit forbid them to go? Wouldn't let them to go? That doesn't make sense to us. What, what kind of a God wouldn't want the people in Asia to hear the gospel? You see, if, if you think about it, you might get offended. You might say, excuse me, this, this doesn't seem right. And I would also say, just as I was joking a moment ago, this would be reality. If you've been a Christian very long, I'm sure there are times that God has just not done things the way you think he should. And how easy it is for us to get angry and offended at God for not doing things our way. 
And it's not just that we want him to do everything our way. We're not talking a prosperity gospel thing where we want this kind of a car and we want these kind of vacations and, and this size of house and this kind of diamond ring and, and just me, 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 me. But when we are wanting something that is obviously godly, it's good, it's right, and everything seems like the timing's perfect, and God won't let you do it. The Holy Spirit forbids you. Everything you try, you're opposed. Nothing works. Talk about frustration. Temptation, at least, if not anger. Because you can't do something that you know is so good. Know is so right. Something that's clearly commanded in Scripture. And that's what's happening here. But it's, it's even worse than that. Because it says, they went to Mishia. They wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed by Mishia. What kind of a God would just tell them to go right past a whole city of people that needed the gospel and to go on to Troas? Now, what we're seeing here is nothing less than the sovereign control and guidance of the Holy Spirit over his people the leaders of the church, and the church themselves. And the reason why this is so important is because what's at stake here is nothing less than the character and nature of God. You see, it is challenging for me, and it may be for you, to let God be God. (laughs) To actually believe in the God of the Scripture rather than creating my own God. And as you know, we live, in, we live in a culture where that is very popular. Create your own God. We call them different religions. We call them different, uh, all kinds of things. But we create the God that we want to be. And as Christians, it is actually very easy to be in a church like this week after week, year after year, and have created your own God. And you just kind of skip portions of scripture and you read in the old testament where he says to go in and destroy a city uh, kill every living thing every man woman child bull goat bird everything kill it all we just don't understand that so we just kind of don't read it and you get to a passage like this and you think no no if god's told me to go somewhere and do something if 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 I, if I have an opportunity to preach the gospel somewhere, I'm going to go. I don't care. Nobody's going to stop me. And we really say nobody, including God. Now, obviously, God doesn't play that game. And he stops you. <laughs> but then we get offended. Now, notice what happened with these men. These men just continued to just do whatever seemed to be the right thing to do next. These men were following Christ. They weren't telling Christ what they wanted. Or telling Christ what they were going to do. They were following him. So, they find themselves in Troas. It says in verse 9, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, notice, immediately... Don't you respect his obedience? Immediately, it says, we sought to go on to Macedonia. And this is the ESV. I'm not sure what translation you'd be using, but English Standard Version says, concluding that God 
had called us to preach the gospel to them. In other words, they didn't really even know if this was going to be the right place. You see, these guys didn't have a 40-year plan. They didn't have a clear understanding of what it was going to look like even next week, never mind next year or 20 years down the road. They were discovering God's will as they were obeying God's will. And, and I point that out for a variety of reasons. Number one, how applicable it is to the way we are called to follow Christ. Because you as an individual Christian, us as a corporate church, we do not know what's going to happen next. We're called to follow him. Because we don't know what's going to happen, that's why it's called faith. If you knew what was going to happen, if the leaders knew exactly what the plan was going to be for the next five years, we wouldn't be walking in faith. We'd be walking in obedience. But we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we are seeking God. We are praying. We are fasting. We are getting all the counsel that we can. We're, we're, we're working together to discover what does God have for us. And that's been our experience in Sovereign Grace Ministries, especially in our region in Florida. A couple of examples. Um, when we planted the church out of, out of our church in Orlando, it's called Metro Life Church, and we planted the church in St. Petersburg. Our goal when we planted that church, we, were, we started off to plant a church in Tampa. We saw that as a, a geographical uh, kind of church planting uh, area, like a church could be planted there. They could plant out all along the West Coast from a strategic standpoint in our little understanding of a pea brain understanding of, of strategy and and we we just thought that'd be a great place to go so we're uh we get a, a call from a, a couple in st petersburg and they said we would love to have a, a sovereign grace church here would you come and so we thought well you know we've been praying about this for a long time so yeah we're gonna go so we went and they hosted us while we drove all through tampa looking around to kind of get an idea of the demographics to get an idea of where would be the best place i was i went there with a brother from our church who was going to plant the church there and we're just kind of spying out the land, looking to see what's going to happen. Well, we're spending several days looking over everything. We, we, of course, going back to this host family's house each night. And one night, I wasn't asking for anything, praying for anything. I was just brushing my teeth in the bathroom. And this strong impression from the Lord, you're looking in the wrong place, plant the church in St. Pete. Now, not an audible voice, just a strong impression, you're looking in the wrong place. And so I was like, Whoa! So I got finished brushing my teeth. I went into Jim Britt, who was the man that was with me. I said, Jim, the strangest thing just happened. I just had this impression we're looking in the wrong place. And he begins, he begins to weep. He goes, I just heard the same thing. So we're like, well, let's start looking at the same thing. <laughs> so we looked around, and the long and the short of it, there is a church, a strong, healthy, vibrant church planting church in St. Petersburg today. Because the Lord redirected us. Another great example is Gainesville. Uh, Phil Corson, who also came out of our church, and we planted the church in Gainesville about eight years ago. He is an FSU fan. His wife was born and raised in Tallahassee. The entire time as we began to identify his gifts and, and, and begin to realize this man is called to be a church planter, we had always thought of plant, him planting a church in Tallahassee. Lifelong dream. He ends up in Gainesville. They still wear their Florida State shirts to restaurants. Sometimes almost refuse service. But today there is a, 
a vibrant church planting New Testament church in Gainesville being led by a man who thought he was going somewhere else. God knew we didn't. Right now, we, in fact, just a couple weeks ago, we had the privilege of announcing that we're going to be planting a church from Metro and the west side of Orlando over in the, the Claremont Winter Garden uh, part of Central Florida. It's about an hour away. We have uh, really several dozen families that are members of Metro. They've been driving that hour for years to be a part of the church. We finally have a man that we can send. So we're sending actually our, our, our executive pastor. Uh, we're sending him to the West. And with the folks that are already there, we're going to begin a new church. We've been praying about this for 10 years. When we bought the property where Metro is located, some of you have have been there for one of the conferences, when we bought that property to build the building that we're in now, it was moving away from all those folks. And even the purchase of the property was always in the context, as we were sharing with the church, we haven't lost our vision for a church in the West, but this is the property that God's made available to us. Now, after all these years, we're finally able to do what God... And I've got example after example of the same kind of thing where we thought we were going somewhere. We thought it was very clear. It made all, all the sense in the world. The timing seemed to be right. And then we found out it's something different. Now, I've got a question for you today. Does it offend you, if you'll think about it, does it offend you that the Holy Spirit would offend Paul and Silas from preaching in Asia or that the Lord would not allow them to go to Bithynia? I mean, what's really in your heart when you don't get to do what you want to do or what you think's right? Or when this church doesn't make the kind of decisions that you think are right? What goes on in your heart? And here's my challenge to you today. When we disagree and resist what is clearly God's direction and providential care, that is, in fact, an act of rebelling against God. Now, it may not be active rebellion. You may not be screaming and yelling and throwing yourself on the floor and kicking. But in your heart, what happens when decisions are made that you don't agree with? Now, I'm not assuming that's even the case. And I'm not referring to our new relationship and what's happening in the church and, and the, the issues of the articles and, and those kinds of things. I'm just talking on a general basis because the same thing applies uh, in the homes. Ladies, when your husbands make decisions you don't agree with. Children, when your mom and dad make decisions you don't like. When your boss, gentlemen, does things and goes a direction you don't like. What happens in your heart? I wish I had this up on the overhead for you. I could get a copy to the care group leaders if anyone would like a copy. But this is just a quote from John Calvin, which I think is very helpful right here. Now, as you know, John Calvin was, we, we wouldn't certainly buy into everything that he taught and uh, but it, there's, it's so clear that he's a, a brilliant man. And but for him to say that there's nothing better than, of all the things that he knows, <laughs> this is a pretty significant statement. He says this, There is nothing better than to leave God the freedom and power to give or withhold his grace as he pleases. There's nothing better than to leave God the freedom and power to give or withhold his grace as he pleases. Just as his eternal election is free, so is his calling that comes from it. It is not based on men, since it owes nothing to anyone. So, 
we must recognize that the gospel springs only from grace. Listen to this. God does not lack good reason for offering his gospel to some and passing others by. But that reason lies hidden. Now, this is difficult for all of us. Why hasn't God saved some of my relatives or my neighbors or my friends? Why hasn't God allowed us to plant a church in a city that's in my heart? Why hasn't God allowed me to get this business that I want? Why hasn't God allowed me to go to the country that I want to go to and preach the gospel? Why am I being, why won't God allow this? And Calvin's just simply saying this. You honor God. You treasure God. You esteem God when you allow him to lead you. When you allow him to be God. When you allow him to do things, even if you don't understand them, even if his reasons are hidden, that you worship him anyway and you trust him. And that's exactly what's going on here. Paul and Silas and Timothy... They're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. They're walking by faith. They are trusting the Lord. And they're content to follow him wherever he leads. And I would suggest to you, this is the heart and soul of Christian ministry. This is how the Christian life works. That's why Christianity is not just another religion. This is a relationship with God. It is a lifestyle. It's the way we live our lives. What is that? Trusting God even when we don't understand. Trusting him when we do understand, uh, accepting the fact that we probably don't fully understand. In other words, thinking very highly of God and minimally about ourselves. Trusting him more than we do ourselves. Now, there's another passage. I'm out of town. Uh, I just realized another passage in First Corinthians where it just he, he uses the same kind of. Idea. Just jot it down for your notes. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 14. You can look at this later. But he, he talks about, I hope to come to you, but perhaps I can stay with you. Uh, God's opened a wide door for me. Um, I, I, I've talked to Apollos. It's not his will to come right now, but, uh, you know, we'll see how the, it, there's just this understanding that in the New Testament, as these men were going from day to day, there wasn't always clarity on exactly how it should happen. Instead, these men, if you can see the pattern here, these men are trusting God. Even when they didn't understand what was going on, they they didn't have it all worked out in advance. Their confidence was in God. And this is how New Testament church leaders function. That's why we've heard many times the Christian life called an adventure. What's an adventure? You're going, but you're not quite sure what's going to happen along the way. That's why it's so exciting to serve Christ. Because you never know what he's going to do next. So this is our experience. This is how we have followed the Lord for the last 20 years together with Sovereign Grace Ministries. We never quite know what he's going to do next. But as he opens the doors, as he leads and guides, we just love what he does, even when we don't understand it. Why? Because we honor him. We express our affection for him by trusting him and by being committed to doing what he wants us to do. Disciples of Jesus Christ, those like Timothy we read about, who are spoken of highly, those that can be trusted. Disciples follow. 
They are convinced, as we are convinced, and I, I believe you are convinced. Christ is the head of this church. Keith isn't. Whatever influence I might have, I'm not. The elders in and of themselves aren't. Christ is. The leadership, and this is why we, we beg you to pray for us. This is why we need you to pray for us. Because our job is to discover God's will. To seek the Lord. And to find His will so that we can lead. But it's not our agenda. It's His agenda. Knowing a little bit about the history of this church, uh, from what I've heard, it's, it seems clear to me that despite the way you may look at all that's happened in the past, despite some of the tragedies that have happened even in this city in churches, uh, some of the experiences, difficult experiences, some of you may have had even like some of mine that I described earlier in my past church experience. You know what? In spite of all that, you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at a healthy church. I'm looking at people that love God. I'm looking at individuals who have been brought together by the Spirit of God in spite of all that. In other words, all that sin was no match for the grace of God. Think about it. All your sin. No match for the grace of God. So why should we fear? Why should we be anxious? Why should we be concerned? Our Our anxiety should be a godly anxiety, which is founded on one simple thing, and that is, are we following Christ? Are we doing what he wants us to do? Are we right in the middle of his will? Because after that, the understanding, the the, the knowing what's going to happen and all that, it just doesn't matter. I met your pastors eight years ago. I've enjoyed friendship with them. I've loved them. We've gone through all kinds of things. I've been behind the scenes on some of the, some of the situations the church has been through over the years. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. I didn't know that it would ever end up anything more than this. I didn't know that I'd be invited to come today like I have. Been invited into the life of the church like I have been. But you know what? All those years, it didn't matter where it was going to end up. All that mattered was serving. And nothing has changed. This new phase of relationship is nothing but another opportunity to increase the level of serving. That's what Sovereign Grace Ministries is all about. Why? Because that's what the Christian life is all about. That's what every member of this church should be all about. We are here. We are saved to serve. We are here to glorify God. We're here to do His thing, not ours. And so because that's my motive, because that's my perspective on why I'm here, it's an absolute joy to be here. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for giving us a level of reality, a a closeness to Scripture that can... Encourage us to, to know that we really are, by your grace, on the path that you've laid out for us. We're really doing what you want us to do. And although there's so much work yet to be done in our lives, what a joy it is to know that you haven't given up on us. That you've not allowed anything in our past to keep us from being here today, right where you want us to be. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your sovereignty. 
We thank you for your great power. We thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. And that we can legitimately, with all of our hearts, be in full faith for those things that you have in store for us. Those things that are ahead because we are so impressed with what we have seen in the past. We give you all the honor and all the credit and take none for ourselves. Humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, we are looking forward to the future because we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, let's do this. I want to ask Matt if he would, would lead us in a song. Um, it's all about you. Can you sing that song? Let's, let's stand up together. Uh, I appreciate the, the word. I know that the word Danny brought for us obviously has immediate application for us as a church together. Uh, truth from God really can't be corporately applied unless it is individually applied. And so this is a great principle for the church, but in our own hearts we don't release our sense of that question, you know, Lord, why have you allowed this? Or why have you not allowed this in my life? If I can't come to peace with God about that personally, then there's no way I can come to peace with God about it for this church. So I want to, before we get into some question and answer time, let's just close our eyes for a moment and, and get personal with God and let Matt lead us in this song. Father, I thank you that this morning you know, you know what's filling in the blank for us when we consider that question. Lord, why, why have you not allowed this in my life? Why am I in this place? Why am I in this season? Why is my physical body the way it is right now? Why are there needs in my life in this category? Why didn't, why didn't this circumstance work out differently? Why, why haven't we been able to have children? Why am I still single? Why, Lord? Lord, we need to come back to the place of being convinced about your wise care for our lives, your specific intentions, your unfailing goodness toward us that inspires us to trust you. For Lord, really what all of us want in our hearts is quite simply, we simply want to discover your will for our lives. Lord, sincerely, Lord, when we dig into the heart you've given us to know you, we really don't want our way. We truly want your will to be done in our lives. So, Father, we're going to sing this song. Would you bring the realities that it really is all about you? And all of this, Lord, all of this, our individual lives, the life of this church, all this is for you. And we really don't want it to be any other way than that. So, Father, refresh our hearts as we sing this to you. Posture our hearts before you. And we would trust you all the more.